Welcome to Removing Addiction and Healing Mental Health with Mike Carroll and Jess Gaddies. In weekly podcast episodes, they will feature healers and experts in removing addiction and healing mental health. You'll also hear from lived experience advocates, revealing tips that have helped them to live their lives addiction-free and heal from co-occurring mental health issues. Now here's your host, MC Counseling's Mike Carroll and your co-host, Jess Gaddies. Hello there, it's Mike Carroll and welcome along to Removing Addiction and Healing Mental Health. We've been talking in the last few weeks about uh, prison and also incarceration and we're definitely taking a, a, a turn this week to talk to Dr. Michael Aberetti or Dr. A who has got a book out, 10 Lessons in Power Psychology. It's very difficult right now to be able to get help without um, a, a huge waiting period, whether it's going to see somebody or even to see somebody online. So to be able to help yourself is a fantastic idea uh, before you're waiting to see somebody. Before we start, I'd like to welcome Jess, our co-host. Thanks for joining us, Jess. Thanks for having me this morning, Mikey. And also, Dr. A, thank you very much for making the time to, to join us. We really do appreciate it. Happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. No worries at all. Where are you at the moment in, in America? Well, my office is located in uh, Hostville, Massachusetts, on the east coast of the U.S., at uh, area geographically known as Cape Cod. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Well, where I'm in Seaspray, Victoria, which is on the 90 Mile Beach, which uh, Dr. A is one of only nine, uh, three uninterrupted beaches in the world. And we're mm. in summer, which is beautiful. And Jess is in Sydney, in, uh, in Liverpool, in Sydney. Wow. I'm very yes. far. <laughs> I'm very far from ages <laughs> in any water. So we might just start with your book. Why did you write it, Dr. A? Well, I wrote the book because it's really hard to find people who are trained and experienced in the kind of psychology that I practice, which is cognitive behavioral psychology. And that's because you don't have a lot of programs, a lot of graduate programs anywhere in the world that train people to do cognitive behavioral psychology. Mostly it's traditional old-fashioned chalk therapy, which is 180 degrees opposite of what cognitive behavioral therapy is. And secondarily, many people in the U.S. anyway do not have access to any kind of psychological help or counseling because they don't have the right insurance. And even worse, they don't have any practitioners in their state. We have a a number of large states and only the most populated cities seem to have enough psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers and mental health counselors to go around. So and some of the people who really need the most help, they don't have access to any kind of health care. They don't have access to health care because of the lack of insurance or the lack of health care practitioner, even medical doctors. So I decided writing a, a book, a self-help book that has some techniques that people can get an idea of how helpful psychology could be, would be beneficial. And also I wanted to try and give an opportunity for people who would never ever consult a psychologist to get an idea really what psychology is all about because the way you see it's portrayed on tv shows and movies and in books that's really sensationalized stuff and that stuff does not happen mm. in the therapy session it's it's good for drama dramatic person in a tv show but it's not very good to encouraging people to get some help so I, for those are the big reasons mm. how do you think the pandemic has impacted people's mental health well, a number of different ways. People write about this a lot in the media and on newspapers. And the the way that I experience it, my colleagues experience it, a little bit different. 
the way we have it in the U.S. is that now we have extended telehealth services so people can now have access to people through the computer because we're speaking, whereas before that was very, 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 very limited. And in the United States, we have 50 different states and plus some territories. So we have 50 different license laws. So someone who's practicing in New York City, they can't see patients in Washington, D.C. or Helena, Montana or in Madison, Wisconsin, or any place else in the country, unless they're also licensed in that particular state. So they have to have two licenses or three or four licenses in order to have availability where people really need them. So people in Arizona, they have to only see people who are located in Arizona. In Massachusetts, we have about 7 million people, I guess. And so now with the expanded telehealth, people in all parts of Massachusetts have access to all therapists in all other parts of Massachusetts. So that has been a, a real positive boost for people because prior, prior to that, you'd have to sign up for a clinic, be on a waiting list. It could take two or three weeks or two or three months. And even private practitioners were not always available because their practices were booked up. So it really has helped more people get access to psychological help. And on the other side, needing psychological help, some people really have a lot of anxiety and depression and trauma because the pandemic, among other things, is also very traumatic to people. In addition to the long COVID side effects, in addition to the fuzziness that people have because of directly because of the biological COVID, because of the physical weakness, many of those people need rehabilitation, they need cognitive rehab, they need physical therapy rehab, and certainly for the PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, or the anxiety or the depression, they need uh, psychological therapy, therapy to help them out with that. And it helped also to reduce some of the stigma of getting psychological help because everyone now talks about being stir crazy. Everyone talks about having cabin fever. Everyone talks about, oh, I need help. I'm going wild. I'm going crazy. Whereas before it was always uh, something you didn't talk about. And nowadays it really has reduced the stigma quite a bit. So in my field, I see a lot of practical benefits being able to provide services to people and people being more willing to accept services and their employers and their coworkers not stigmatizing them as much. Those are the things that I see. In addition to the fact that people have more episodes of depression, anxiety, and trauma than they had before. That's amazing. And thank you very much for giving us that insight for us in Australia, Dr. A. Uh, in Australia, if you've got a license or if you're a registered counsellor like myself, I, I do telehealth as well and I'm able to mm -hmm. do that throughout Australia. Um, I had no idea that, that that was the case in America. So thank you for providing us that insight and even more so um, to have your book, uh, your e to, to be to be able to help people, um, especially you know in America. But it will definitely help people in Australia as well. Um, now, does your book address uh, parts of the pandemic as well? It doesn't really address anything in the pandemic, but it addresses how to deal with uh, stress and anxiety. And even people who have never thought about seeing a psychologist or a counselor, everybody talks about stress. There are you know, many different types of stress, as you know. The most common kind of stress is what is called in the field, uh, that odd name is called eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, -E -S -S, which means the regular stress that people have in their daily life. They have to commute, they're stuck in traffic, they have to go shopping, they have to go to the ATM, you know, the kind of stress we all have to put up with in, in modern society. And then there's a significant kind of stress which could take cognitive, emotional, or uh, behavioral or physiological 
aspects as well. So the book talks about how to relieve some stress. It also talks about how to uh, find a little bit of happiness and joy in a world that sometimes seems soul crushing rather than joyful. And it has some generalized themes, but it doesn't have the specific themes that I would like it to have. I just want to have a generalized book to give people a flavor. So it's a little bit of a flavor of things and it applies to the pandemic through anxiety and trying to be happier. Um, you mentioned earlier that people do a lot of different therapies. Why do you think so many people go into those other types of therapies over choosing something like cognitive behavioral therapy? Well, I think basically most people don't know about it. You don't really get a lot of publicity. You, Ever since therapy started back when Freud had it back in the 1800s, he really sort of invented the field. People have been practicing counseling or talk therapy, which then the fancy words to describe it, it's psychoanalytically oriented psychodynamic psychotherapy, which now we just call counseling. And we sort of drop everything in to counseling, but there are many different types of counseling on that. Cognitive behavioral therapy or behavioral therapy has its basis in something totally opposite from psychoanalytic theory. Cognitive behavioral therapy and behavioral therapy was derived from really the 1940s when psychology began to emerge as a specialized practice field in America as not dealing with so-called underlying concern that psychoanalysis talks about. In psychoanalysis, there are so many different kinds of underlying concerns. You need to have a number of different types of therapies to deal with those things, all based on different twists and turns and psychoanalytic theory. Cognitive behavioral therapy, behavioral therapy is much more utilitarian. It's really kind of one size fits all because the techniques you use to help somebody reduce their anxiety, it doesn't matter what the source of the anxiety was, you use the same techniques and you can teach them. It's almost like if you teach somebody how to read, they can pretty much read anything you put in front of them. If they need some more vocabulary, they can get more vocabulary, but you don't need specialized training. Once you've been taught how to read, you pretty much know how to read, and then you can go on from there. Unlike psychoanalytic therapy or counseling, there's so much that people have to learn, and sometimes it is so intricate, it is extremely difficult for anyone to really learn all the ins and outs of psychoanalytic theory, let alone psychoanalytically oriented psychodynamic psychotherapy. But programs still teach that. It is much more cost-effective, I think, to teach those students in those programs. And certainly, quite frankly, it's a lot easier to practice that in the therapy room when you invite your patient to sit and just talk. And the therapist sits there and essentially doesn't do very much sometimes. Not everyone likes that, but I mean, there are several therapists who believe that what you do is you just let the patient talk and you take notes and that's all you do. CBT is much more directive, much more proactive. It helps people move forward in their lives and stop being stuck. Maybe that's too many words, but uh, CBT is, is a lot simpler than the way I explain it. It's uh, based on the belief that keeping things very simple and very straightforward is the best way to help people. And with mm. what I work with and what, what Jess has, has had as well, I know, is is CBT, uh, especially for addictions. Um, we've obviously found mm-hmm. them to be very effective there as well. And yep. with medications, um, what are your thoughts, Dr. A, in medic- medications helping people? 
Well, I'm a bit of a maverick in terms of medication. Everyone talks about medication by everyone. I mean, most people in the psychiatric profession, psychiatrists, they think medication is very helpful. And I have a total different view on that. I hear the stories that all psychiatrists don't hear in their 15-minute med checks. And I can tell you that the vast majority of medications that people on are more debilitating than helpful, at least in the people I've seen. And I've been practicing for over 40 years. There are some medications that are more dangerous than others, but in my experience, for example, antidepressants works. We're uh, prescribing more antidepressants, but I don't think they're any more helpful than the old line antidepressants. If you take a look at the, the metadata on the research, you find that some of the most effective antidepressants are the old line medications because they came out in the 50s and 60s. I think Elevil has the best effects of medication. Who prescribes Elevil anymore? It's all SSRIs right now. It's all Prozac and Paxil and all that kind of stuff. So I think the medications have hurt more people than they have helped, but you would never get the entire psychiatric profession to agree to that because at least in America, you know, patients have been socialized and educated to believe that if you go to the doctor, you had better come out of there with the prescription for pills or else you really haven't received any kind of real treatment. But in reality, we know from also from research that up to 60% of visits to a physician or clinical nurse practitioner are because of psychological issues such as depression and anxiety. Well, the only tool that a physician has in his toolbox is an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety pill. They don't do therapy. They don't have people in their office to do therapy. So that's what they give out. Nowadays, because it doesn't pay so well for talk therapy, psychiatrists in America have moved more and more to prescribing pills because it's much more lucrative for them to do that. Whether the pills work or not, no one bothers to research that after the FDA approves a pill. Mm. You just... Take it on faith that it works. So I'm in the opposite camp. Um, if people are taking medication, I don't try to talk them out of it, but I've had several people come to me on medication, which clearly they don't need, and I've helped them get off medication. But if you're on medication and it's working for you, then I don't think you should mess with it. I think that's fine. But medication without therapy is really kind of a, a non-starter. You don't really go very far with that. But what's your experience, Mike? Have you had different kind of experience, you guys? Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Dr. A. I, I've found that uh, I love people not to be on medication, and if yeah. they are, I, I really ask them to have a review with their with their specialist uh, at least every 12 months, if not every six months. And prior yeah. to me doing counselling with my own service now, I mm -hmm. suffered from, from addiction and had um, – had psychosis. I was on antipsychotics for two years and then decided to stop using them. And my doctor said, yeah, no worries. And I was like, well, mm -hmm. if I hadn't said anything, would I still be on them? You know, like four years, five Good years question. later. Yeah. And, and so I put that story to some of my, my clients that, you know, check in, you know, there's nothing, there's no harm in doing that. And that mm -hmm. with what I like to do is I have a program that I, I do with with um, um, problematic substance use and addiction reprogramming, so people can really unlearn some of the the untruths of of addiction and mm -hmm. put in uh, use personal development and life coaching with that to help them to reset their lives. And they find that very helpful because when the overthinking comes in um, with the medication as well. If they're still on medication, they're sleeping a lot. They're not very motivated. Um, they're putting on lots of weight, obviously depending on the the specific medication. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm definitely in agreement with you, um, Dr. A, with, with 
medica- you know, reduce the medication as much as possible and give people the opportunity to be able to talk and to be able to um, sp- speak about how they feel and, and to be able to, to help them to reprogram some of, some of those untruths about addiction. So thanks for, for asking. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, no, I'm of the same view. Um, you know, I was also heavily medicated in my first few years, which at the time I needed it, but no one, you know, monitored me. No one reviewed me. <clears throat> nothing like that and um in the end i said to my own gp i think i need to get off these after five years and i finally did but at the moment i do a combination of both cbt and medication so i still for my anxiety i've gone back onto medication and it's just what i felt i needed and using the cbt and acceptance commitment therapy using what i've learned in my toolbox along with the medication, um, definitely helps. But whenever people tell me the list of medication that they're on, I'm just like, are you feeling anything? Are you, is, is there anything going on inside right now? And the response all the time is, no, I feel nothing. It's all band-aids. It's just covering everything. And that's what I say to them. Like, you know, the second you come off all that, it's like an explosion. Do you Bye. want to just give um, Dr. A, a, a brief overview of your story, Jess, just so we understand? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I um, come from an, a background of addiction to um, ice, methamphetamine, um, through my 20s and have been clean now five years and ten months mm-hmm. after several rehab stints and, you know, have gone through the different medical models and also therapy models and, um, you know, building my toolbox and then having just different types of therapy as well. Like you said, the talking therapy, then learning about CBT and then learning about ACT and, you know, then working out what worked best for me. So, mm-hmm. um, but you're right. A lot like of people. A, it sounds like you've been on quite a journey. I have. I have been on quite a journey. Um, but you're right when you said a lot of people don't know about CBT. Um, yeah. You know, in the last couple of weeks, I had a you know meeting with not a meeting, but a conversation with my cousin, and I asked her, "Have you heard of CBT or ACT?" And she said no. And I said, I really want to talk you through what this is and how it could benefit you. And um, when we spoke about it, she was just absolutely amazed, a 17-year-old girl. And um, she was like, this will really work for me. And I said, I think it might. It's worth giving a go. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you're able to share that. Yeah, no, I I really do believe in CBT and ACT and it really helping people if they knew about it. You don't know what you don't know. So hopefully this podcast help people just, you know, like Mikey said earlier on, um, you know, there's a lot of waiting lists and even here in Australia, we can be waiting up to six months to see a psychologist. We have the same things here um, in Australia as you guys do in America. It's quite expensive to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a counsellor and your most at need people don't have those funds. They don't have private health insurance. They can't go to a private hospital to get help. Um, Mm. So something like your book and these podcasts just help people get through those times when they're really struggling. 
Jess has been amazing, Doctor A. Just, 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 just quickly, she was the second guest I had on the on the podcast, and we started this oh. towards the end of last year. And you know, when you you go away and you think about things, like I think Jess would be amazing to have as my guest host, or sorry, my co-host, not my guest host. He's on every week, and just brings a different yeah. dimension to it. And since then, we've had you know lots more listeners as well. And um, and so thank you, appreciate that. It's it, it's it's great to have her her as part oh. of the show. <laughs> so. To speak. Now uh, we know we've get this quite a bit actually. Um, the difference between um, a psychologist and a psychiatrist, and you probably asked mm. a- answered this question many times. How would you be able to explain mm. that for us, please, Doctor A? Well, in the U.S., uh, psychiatrists primarily now prescribe medication. That's all they do. And uh, years ago, well, actually, hmm, maybe 20, 25 years ago, it was pretty common that psychiatrists also tried their hand at doing talking therapy as well as uh, prescribing drugs. But nowadays that pretty much has gone by the wayside and they only do 15 minute med checks. Um, There are still some holdouts that do uh, psychotherapy as well as med checks, but primarily psychiatrists are trained as medical doctors to prescribe medication. They can prescribe any medication that any other medical doctor can because in America it's a universal license. If you're a medical doctor, you can prescribe medications for drug addiction. You can prescribe medications for uh, OBGYN conditions, cardiology conditions, psychiatric conditions. There's no limitation to a specialty. Psychologists, on the other hand, are only licensed to prescribe medication um, currently in about five states in America, and I think also for the Department of Defense. And that started about 15 years ago for one of the reasons I mentioned earlier in the fact that you don't have enough medical doctors, enough psychiatrists in enough parts of America to provide services for people. So we don't have a lot of psychologists who want to be trained and licensed to prescribe medication, but we do have some in in about uh, four or five states that do that. But primarily we're trained to do therapy, uh, the old fashioned talking therapy and other kinds of therapy, power therapies such as EMDR, uh, ACT, CBT, all that kind of stuff. So we don't prescribe medications, psychiatrists do. We do do therapy to help people move forward and generally speaking, psychiatrists don't. That, that would be the big differences that I see. Wonderful, all right, thanks for sharing. Mm-hmm. Now, if we just go back to the pandemic for a second and how it's affected people, um, what role do you, do you feel that schools have in helping um, young people deal with the pandemic problems? Well, schools have a lot of problems. Again, uh, I do a lot of consulting to schools, and I'm talking about the schools in, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. The biggest problem we have now is with school boards. The school boards are trying to – well, school boards have always been a problem for students in school. Nowadays, students have so many psychological problems that are based on the isolation, also their parental isolation. The parents might be out of work. The parents may have lost their jobs, and the kids have to deal with that. And where does everything wind up? Everything winds up in the school. So some of the schools have a lot of difficulty providing adequate services to the kids in school. And in at least the state that I'm in, Massachusetts, for about a decade or more, they have been really gutting the school psychological services. So there aren't enough school psychologists to go around to be in school. And they should have been, you know, right along. You know, they were very big in the 60s and 70s. Then we started to not hire them so much. So they don't have enough staff to provide services. The staff they do have are not very well trained. 
and schools only can provide services throughout the school day, not after the school day, and only during the school year, not during the summertime. So that's where kids spend most of their time. That is their full-time job, going to school. There should be more services in school for kids to help deal with these things, and they just don't have them. So kids are experiencing and demonstrating more of their experience with anxiety and PTSD and depression, and they have fewer services available to them in schools. We do have recently, the past year or so, services, third-party services that have sprung up to help schools locate therapists out of school to help children and families. I get about five or six calls a week from these services calling on behalf of different school districts trying to find therapists who have openings to help take care of the kids. We just don't have enough qualified personnel to help them. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a shocking situation s- similar to in Australia. And I think mm. it's only, I don't have children myself, but from what I've been led to believe, it's not even every school has a counsellor as well. Mm. And and so and as you as you quite correctly said in the US, I think probably the similar in Australia that if they do that they're they're very busy. I do have a friend that's a school so a school counsellor, um, and it's you know they change quite frequently as well. So there's that trust factor that the young person needs to to to, to build up to be able to to want to see that person and and to be able to talk openly and honestly. Now thank you so much for joining us. We might just finish up with with Jess asking our last question today. Yeah, where, so where, pe- where can people get a copy of your book? Well, you can go to the website, uh, 10lessonsinpowerpsychology.org. You can go to my website, which is uh, vistahealth.net, that also has a copy of the book. And, of course, you can always buy it through Amazon. It's been on Amazon for quite a while, so you can go to amazon.com, 10 Lessons in Power Psychology. This is what the book looks like. And you can get that on Amazon. Probably just about everybody buys things on Amazon if you're looking for a book, so you can go there. <laughs> That's amazing. We did have Dr. Scott Waltman joining us on one of the first few episodes. With He's got mm-hmm. a book on CBT, so we're definitely familiar with Amazon. Um, Ten Lessons in Power Psychology. Dr. A's been joining us on Removing Addiction and healing mental health. We really do appreciate your time this week and look forward to maybe in the future, if you're up for it, to, to come back and join us again. Sure. Happy to do that anytime. Thank you for the invitation. I enjoyed meeting both of you. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Thanks Dr. A. I'm sure. Mike Carroll. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Removing Addiction and Healing Mental Health. Look after yourself and each other. Bye for now. It is in our hope that we have opened your mind to see another way to live your best life. This has been Removing Addiction and Improving Mental Health. Join Mike and Jess next week for another episode.